0: Amen. What was it Sharon said? You didn't know what we did before I came here, did you? You guys just sat around on your hands goofing off doing nothing. Now preacher comes, makes everybody work all the time, right? What's up with that guy? Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin in 1 Peter and we're going to end in 1 Peter. And for the record, Joe, I did preach you, I printed you out a list of the Um, scriptures there in the room behind me there that I didn't actually hand to you, but I did print them out. First Peter chapter three, verses 13 through 16 says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We are almost done with our 10 questions the world is asking that the church needs to answer series. Now we would actually be finishing up this week, except right as I crossed out of Chicago into Gary, Indiana. Almost right after I was across the border, somebody texted me and said my wife is going into labor. That was the person who was supposed to preach last week, right? To which I said, "Whatever, you know, preach. You got, you know, what they, they used to say in the Navy: you just have to lay the keel. You don't have to launch the ship, right?" Um. But as it happens, nowadays, guys do kind of like to be with their wives when they're going through these things. My wife wanted me there just so that whenever the contraction spike would hit, she could pinch my arm really hard to let me know she was also suffering. But me, being the smart guy I was, kind of figured out where the timing on the little chart was. Whenever those went, when, i just kind of, you know, go back across the room and be over here for a second and watch it peak, and then I'd come back over, hey, are you feeling okay, honey? Because you realize pretty quick when it's going to hurt, right? And... And it's not fair that you guys have to go through that, and guys don't. I, I, I understand that. I also kind of, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, <laughs> there's a part of me. But Evangeline came early, and so because Evangeline came early, uh, Pastor Abbott stepped up for us, um, and that was really good, I hear. If he was bad, nobody said anything, so good. You're, he, he, he was either really good or you were really kind. Either way, it works for us as a church body. Amen? Amen. So, I was preaching at a different church, and um, like I told somebody, I don't worry about preaching to them as much as I do preaching to my own people, if that makes sense, because there I don't feel responsible for anybody, you know, I, I know that whatever happens this week, that there are other people taking care of it, other people visiting, other people ministering to, here in our church, in our house, I actually feel far more responsible for what I say, I'm not so carefree and loose. Um... That being said, man, I missed you guys, you know? I'm glad everything turned out okay. You guys didn't burn the house down. You know, as a parent, you always worry when you leave that, you know, someone's going to leave lights on or, you know, everything's going to go crazy. And it did a little bit, but we recovered and we got back together. And come Monday when we got back in town, everything seemed okay. Did you keep them straight, June? I noticed Wayne's not here, so you must have tripped him this morning, right? Um... I know, I'm on fire today, woo! So, today I want to address the question that the world is really asking, even if they don't know how to put it into words. Does it matter? Tristan, if you could grab me a uh, bottle of water. Does it matter? Something happened a few years ago, um, in the 70s, when a guy named Nietzsche said that God is dead. Does anybody remember that, that God is dead? What he was actually saying is that our need for God is dead, that we needed God to explain why storms happened or creeks rose or crops failed and things like that, so man had invented God, and because man had invented God, it got through him for a time, but now because of our technological advancement, because where we've come as a society or where we've come as a people, that we no longer have a need for God, therefore our need for God is dead. Now, he was basing a lot of this on the advancements. that wasn't the 1970s. It was like the 1870s. You should have corrected me on that, Lynn. Thank you. Um, I don't always get my dates right on the fly. But he said that right around the time that the thing called evolution was coming into vogue. Evolution was more than a scientific theory. It was a scientific theory that took away our need for a God in the process. Because if we evolved from smaller organisms to larger organisms, there was no need for a creator to create man and set man on the earth, to breathe into man the life of man, to create man in his own image. If you had a process called evolution, you could take away the need for a God in that system. And so our kids have been raised for many years with the belief that God is not necessary to the existence of man. And so it's right of them to ask sometimes, well what does it matter then? Because when you take the view that there is no creator, when we're not created in anybody's image, that we, don't, we weren't built with a purpose, we didn't have some divine plan in our life that I have set you here for a specific reason, what did you have? I, I took one of my sons, to see a movie this week, and um, I can't watch movies. I'm bad at that, because all I want to sit there and do is pick apart the philosophy and the theology, and what's this guy really trying to say when he writes it? But in the movie, it was very much implied that, that man had to give his own reason for existence. He had to figure out why he existed for himself, and reason that out in his heart, and come up with the reason why everything meant anything. That the meaning that man had was meaning that a man assigned to it, not anything that was divinely given. And this has all kinds of repercussions in our culture because how can you say anything matters in a big cosmic scale if it's really just us and we're just the product of billions of years of random accidents that happen to collect into something that can now communicate and speak? And of course, the argument that that C.S. Lewis would give would be that if that were true and you were a collection of chemical compounds that have just been organized in such a way to respond to your outside environment, meaning you get poked with a stick, you go ow, and eventually somebody says hello when you say hello back because you're conditioned to and everything is just a response to things that are happening around you, well, then none of your arguments matter, do they? What does it matter if you're happy or I'm sad or you're depressed or I'm joyful? What does any of that matter if all of it is just a long series of accidents? Then what you're feeling right now is just the latest in a series of accidents without meaning, without purpose, on a rock that's hurling through the universe with no particular flight, no particular path, and no ultimate destiny. So, what does it matter? Do you realize how much of our society now has built into it that pleasure or happiness are really the only ultimate goals of man because nothing else really matters? I hear this all the time. Well, if I'm happy, that's what's important. Now, I would automatically assume that any mom would immediately come against that statement because there is something about a mother, and next week is Mother's Day, so I'm just prepping this, right? But there is something about being a mom that you immediately and instinctively know how to set your own happiness aside for someone else, don't you? Any, any mom ever not have to set some of their happiness aside for their kids, right? You almost immediately know, man, I would be super happy doing A, but the child needs this, and there's that thing inside of you that says that I'm going to take care of the needs of the child even before my own. I knew moms in high school that, you know, they would dress like hobos, and their daughters would wear all the new clothes, right? Or you'd have the moms where, you know, the sons would have the cars, and they'd be driving some old beater, but some would have something nice to drive because there's something about that parent that says, I'm going to set myself aside. For the sake of the child. And when you look at this in the divine light of God and who he is and why we call him Father, it's because even to give us free will, even to allow us what he's given us, he had to set something of himself aside. Because he had to allow us to reject him. He had to allow us to rebel against him. He had to allow for us to do things that he wouldn't want us to do, but the only way to do that was to give us the free will to do it. Our society, our society is cast off the bonds of the church. See, what, what happened when I was growing up and a little bit before I was growing up is that we as a nation, we as a people, we as a culture decided that the bonds that the church put on us were too onerous. The church would say things like, you know, don't do these sort of bad things, don't, um, don't fornicate, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. Now, they were okay with some of them. Nobody's really like, hey, we should really allow people to murder, right? But we found reasons why sometimes it's okay to lie. We found reasons why sometimes it's okay to break whatever other commandments. And we decided that the church was just a little too restrictive. And so the world wanted to, our culture wanted to kind of free themselves of the bonds of the church. But all they've really done is now bound themselves to a new master, and that is science. Because now every time a new scientific theory comes out, everybody has to kind of conform to that, right? Now we have global warming, and we're pretty sure this is happening, so now we need everybody to do these sorts of things. What you will find with any of these world systems is it's really just a different concentration of power, of control, of people wanting to get their way over things. See, here's, here's one thing that I was telling somebody. The church has always stood in opposition to the state whenever there's a separation of church and state it's not because we need to protect our government from the wily influences of the church it's because we need to keep the government out of the church so that preachers and pastors and people of God can say what's on their heart that we can call sin sin we can call right right and call wrong wrong without fear of repercussion because there are many countries where there is not such a thing where churches are not allowed to exist where people of God have to meet in closed doors and secret places for fear of persecution so it's a good thing it's a good thing to keep the two separate, but the church needs to rise up sometimes and keep the state in line. I don't know why I'm getting so political today. I don't know, maybe it's political day, at Belvedere first. It's really not. Um, politics are a system made by man and anything made by man will fail. Did you know that? Everything man makes will break down and it will fall apart and in the end, God's glory will still shine. Did you know that? God's glory will still shine. We're gonna talk about glory today because here's the thing. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18, One of my favorite responses by a person in the Bible who's not a role model. They're not one of those, hey, be like this guy. Hey, this is, this is who you want to emulate. It's just a guy who said something, and I love that he said it. <laughs> It'd even be better if I wrote down the right scripture reference. Um, Matthew, I'm going to guess and say 28. If I put 18, that probably meant I was just off by 10 chapters. Head over to Matthew 28. No, 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 no. I'm off by the whole book. The whole entire book. Yeah. And what was funny was when I was reading this, when I was reading this and I was studying it, and I said to myself, you should just Google where this verse is at. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I need to, I need to know how to find this because I have a newer Bible now and I need to know how to find it in that Bible. We're going to get there because it's important. Okay, John chapter 18. There we go. John chapter 18. Just keep, you know, good thing about knowing the Bible is you know about where everything's at, right? Sometimes I don't remember where I put my keys, but if I look around long enough, I know about where I was at when I had them, right? They'll just be under some other thing that came after that. The interesting thing about it, and this is something that we don't actually realize a lot of times, is that sometimes people disagree with us on how things like governments or schools or different sort of civic things happen. And it's easy for us, especially in our modern culture, to automatically look at anybody who doesn't agree with us as evil, wrong, bad, and out for our worst. Um, I know none of you have experienced any of this in our culture lately, but it's out there, trust me, okay? Okay? But what I find is that sometimes, if you can really get to the heart of somebody, that they were just trying to find out what was true. Now, they got to it a different way, you know the Gospel of John, Um, I heard somebody say they got to it a different way, and I may not agree with how they got there, but I really believe, and I, and I know this from talking to people, that sometimes I'm talking to someone, and I'm not really talking to them. I'm kind of just talking at what they want to hear. Sometimes people want to argue with you about stuff, and I don't, I don't really have the heart for it. Sometimes I will because, hey, Casey and I know, arguing with people can be fun in the right context. You can have a spirited debate. You could say, this is my idea, this is your idea, and you can put them up against each other and test them. But there are other times where people are just trying to test you, Right? And they don't really have any, any grand plan, they just, they're just digging at you. But if you can sit across from somebody and really try to get to the truth of the matter. See, the problem with truth is that sometimes it's hard to find. And sometimes because it's hard, we just kind of give up. We just kind of say, well, you know, I'm going to be dumb about some stuff, I'll just be dumb about this, right? But truth, because it is hard to find, does not make it any less true. See, one of the other things about that whole Nietzsche, that whole nihilism is what it's called, is that it took away absolute truth. Because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is on trial. He's before Pilate. And in verse 37, it says, Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice there is something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that when you hear how God sent his son as a man to walk on the earth who said, love one another, love your neighbor as yourself, when you hear how he preached and he discipled and how he, he had the woman accused of adultery brought before him and said, let he who was without, thi- without sin cast the first stone and all these miracles about how he healed people and the blind could see and the lame could walk and all these things happen. And when you hear that, there's something in your heart that gets you about it. There's something in your heart once you were exposed to the good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God so much wanted to be a part of your life that he came and walked as one of us. All of the myths and legends of all the cultures pointed to that one point where God would take on human flesh and he would walk and talk and show us the way to heaven. That there was a purpose, there was a greater design, that this wasn't an accident, that we're not just hurling through space, but that God, who is a father, is not an uncaring, unloving, unknowable entity, but he is a father, a God who loves his children, who wants to be in their lives. And once you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that God actually cares, then everything matters. But when Jesus said this to Pilate, he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate, in the most sarcastic part of the Bible, looks at him and says, what is truth? You can almost hear the resignation in his voice. He's in an impossible situation because you see several times he wants to let Jesus go, but he can't seem to make it happen because the crowds are so roused up against him that they're screaming crucify him every time he walks out that they're all shouting at him, kill him, kill him, kill him. And Pilate doesn't want to because there's no charges that will stick. He can tell that the witnesses are false, that Jesus isn't who these people are claiming. But he can't do anything about it. He's bound by the system. He's bound by the rules. He has to follow this path. And when Jesus says that everyone who is looking for the truth listens to my voice, all Pilate can respond with is, well, what is truth? Because he's so bound in this situation. Pilate is bound in a natural super situa- situation and cannot see the supernatural face of God standing right in front of him. Now, if someone were to ask you, like you go out today, you stop by Culver's, and and you just get into a conversation and somebody says, well, what is truth? What's our answer? Come on, Mona. If I asked you, Mona, what's truth, what would you say? Truth is provable. That is not what I thought you'd say, Mona. Uh, It's the Bible. Okay, thank you. Because I want it. But, Mona, that's what I love about you, Mona, is that you're you're thinking a step ahead of me. But did you know that when we tell the world that the truth is the Bible, they don't believe that, right? Like, like I go to Starbucks because I like to, I like to just be in there reading my Bible, right? I just like to have it open. It has its own presence, right? When you open this in front of people, they get a little nervous around you. All of a sudden, they're like, what's that thing you got there? And I, what, this? This isn't dangerous. Look, you can touch it. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm like, no, it's, it's serious, Right? There's just something about the Word of God that has its own sort of presence around it, right? Its own sort of thing that when you see this, you don't have a neutral reaction to it, right? That when you see a Bible, especially a Bible you don't know out of context, out in the wild, right? What if you walk into someone's office and sitting on their desk is an open Bible? All of a sudden, you change how you see that person, don't you? Right? There's just something about that. But here's, here's the thing that, that, that we have to understand as a church, is that when I tell people the Bible is truth, that's only half the story. Because we know that part of the Word of God is written, and part of it is living. Right? Well, what's the part of the Word of God that's living? We are. I can take this Bible, and I can go to McDonald's, and I can find someone sitting there eating their fries, and I can open it up to John three sixteen. I can open it up to any verse. I can set that in front of them and walk away. And what's going to happen? What? Nothing, right? Why? Because let's be honest. People that are lost aren't going to go, hey, I'm going to go read that Bible. I need to go find a Bible and start reading that. If God is going to speak to those people, he's got to use us, Right? one thing to say the Bible is true. It's another thing to speak that truth to someone who's in need of it. It's another thing to take what's in here and have it so in your heart that when the moment comes, you can say what's in there. You know, that's a lot of times we can't tell people. Well, what's the old old joke? The old joke is that everybody believes the Bible because no one reads it. Once they read it, they make their own denomination, right? That's the that's an old preacher joke, right, that we all agree with it because none of us are reading it. And when we do read it, we're like, what, it says that? Well, that's not what my church is like. We don't do any of that there. None of that's familiar to me. And all of a sudden, they got to go start a new movement because they realize that where they're at isn't anything like what's in here. Well, what's in here should be something like what's in our life. And if it's not, then no wonder the world won't recognize the gospel, The world will not be convinced of a supernatural God by a natural church. The world will not be convinced of a supernatural God by a natural church. And unfortunately, a lot of churches I see now are so founded in the natural, are so afraid of the supernatural. They can't imagine someone having a word to give in church. They can't imagine the song service just getting away and just exploding into spontaneous praise. They can't imagine that someone would have a word of knowledge over someone's life and say, you know what, you've never told me this, but God has just dropped it in my spirit that something is going on in your life, and then explain to that person what it is that they're going through. They can't imagine what that looks like, and they're trying to build a natural church Church, and we're never going to convince the world that there's a supernatural God if we try to explain everything in the Bible that's supernatural and explain it away and say we don't expect that for today and we don't see that today. It's not how God works anymore. All of a sudden, God has changed. At the end of this, now He didn't say He would, but all of a sudden He's just changed, and now He doesn't still heal people. He doesn't still do miracles. Things don't happen anymore, right? We pray because that's what we're supposed to do, but there are so many prayers going out in churches with no expectation of answer or return and the world will never be convinced of a supernatural God by a natural church. You want to know something neat? Everybody that has come in these doors, we had the district guy in, we had uh, Brother Abbott in, we've had some other people in, and, and everyone that comes in, what do they always say? You can feel something here. There's something different here. There's something going on. It's not tangible. I don't quite know what it is, but when I come in, the people have a different attitude. There's a different sort of conversation going on. There's an expectation of something. Something is different here. Do you know what that is? It's the glory. Did you know that the glory of God is the mark of acceptance on his people? <laughs> I was joking. They go really... <laughs> I. I, I and I'm going to have to cut this short, too, because I'm, I'm practicing that. I am. Um, <laughs> but I got to say, I got to say, I, 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 you guys will find this funny. At the, at the big church, it was on a very tight schedule, I, I had ten passages and three points to make off those passages. I read the seventh passage. When I got to that point, the musicians were coming up. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, and in conclusion, um <laughs> Glory is one of the most commonly used word in scripture, but most people, if I ask you to define what glory is, it's almost undefinable, undefinable, indefinable. It's some prefix that means no, followed by definable, right? You can't define it. I don't know what the word is. If somebody's smarter, just just tell me. Um, Let's go to Exodus. I'm going to read two passages and we're done. We're going to go to Exodus 33. This one, I I put a marker so I knew right where that one was going to be. Let's go to Exodus 33, verse 12. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Catch up when you get there. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and have found favor in your sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight... Please show me now your ways. He's speaking to God. If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people and you said my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. This is in the wilderness. This is when they're all out there eating manna and drinking from springs, and they're just trying to make it day to day. But Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people? Is it not in you going with us, in your going with us, so that we are distinct and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And here's where it gets good. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock, and while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses couldn't see God's face, but he could see God's glory. The word, the word they use for glory in the Old Testament and New Testament is different. In the Old Testament, it's a word called kabod. You know how we had the words up here? I wanna make a space to put words up there because I have two words for us today. The first word is kabod, it also mean, it means glory. The second word is doxos and it also means glory. We're gonna say glory, but we're gonna say it two different ways. First, I'm going to tell you about this pin. My wife tells me, and she is right, that I am not allowed to buy nice things. I have lost three wedding rings, every pair of sunglasses I've had, and I spent $20 on this because I had a little extra money, and I said, I'm going to buy me a really nice pin. And come Saturday, I was freaking out because I had already lost this pin. I cannot have nice things, right? But the thing about this pin... If I were to get one of the pins out of the back there and I handed that pin and I handed you this pin, the first thing you would notice is that this pin weighs more than the pins that are in the back of the pew. And because of that, whether you mean to or not, psychologically you would say, this has more value than this because this has more weight than this does. This is more substantial. This is more real. The kids and I used to play with airsoft guns, and the airsoft guns are actually 90% plastic and just like a little bit of spring and a little bit of metal in there, but most of them are plastic. But every now and then you'd have to fix one, and you'd take it apart, and you almost always found that somewhere in it, they'd put a big metal bar in there. No purpose to it at all, except to make it feel heavier, because if it felt heavier, you assigned value to it, it had more weight. And the word kabod in the Old Testament, when it's talking about glory, the word means weight the weight of glory that because it weighs something because it's substantial because something's there it has more value right now one of the reasons why gold becomes so important in the ancient economies is not just because it's shiny but gold is heavier than other metals isn't it it's heavier than most of the other stuff they would have out of the earth they assigned value to gold because gold had weight but what did they do with the gold They made idols out of it, didn't they? Did you know that when you assign false weight to something, you're making it an idol? When you take the glory that should be God's and you give it to something that is not God, you're assigning glory to it and you're making an idol out of it. Did you know that? Now here's the thing, because we think of idols, I mean the biggest idol is always TV you know, or internet or something that people are really, but but we do that with our fear. Did you know that if God's word says this, and fear says this, and I put more weight in what my fear tells me than what God tells me, I've made an idol out of my fear. What about my anger? What if, what if God's word says this, but my anger says this, and I give in to my anger, and I give it more weight than I do the word of God, then I've just taken my anger and made an idol out of it and said I will serve my anger, and I will not serve the Lord. Anything you take the weight that belongs to God and to his word, and you give it to something else, becomes an idol. Anything. Because you're giving it a place that it doesn't deserve. You're setting it on a pedestal that it doesn't belong on. You're taking the altar that belongs to Christ in your heart and you're putting something on there that doesn't belong there, whether it be your anger, whether it be your fear, whether it be your frustration, whether it be that you're looking at a situation and there's just no way out of it and you know God's told you in your heart to be at peace. He's going to get you through it, but there's something about it that just keeps making you anxious and you just dwell in that anxiety until that anxiety becomes an idol because you gave it too much weight. It doesn't deserve that. It doesn't belong there. God's word belongs there. Because his word will be true and everything else will be a liar. When Moses came down from the mountain, this this conversation all happens while Moses is up on Mount Sinai, right? And you know what happens when he comes down from the mountain? He shines. We're going to come back to this, but here's the most important thing you need to know about glory. Glory. God's glory is evident in anything he dwells in. If God dwells in it, glory will radiate out of it. Now let's go to the New Testament. Let's go back to First Peter. In fact, we're gonna go back to first <laughs> Bless the Lord. Why don't I write these down better? 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-7 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Remember that, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, in some translations I like it, the authenticity of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word doxa, which is the word that they're using here for glory, and in the New Testament they use that, doesn't imply weight, it implies expectation. But it kind of implies expectation of a reward. I did a good job and now I expect a reward for it because there's the inference that when you do for God what God has commanded, it not only brings glory to God, but it brings glory to you because you have done what you were supposed to do. I know we don't like the idea of us having any glory, do we? We don't like that, right? But did you hear what I said before? that God's glory is evident in anything in which he dwells so if God dwells in you then his glory is going to be evident there's going to be something different about you there's going to be something about you that when people meet you it's just they just they can't put their finger on it right they can't quite They can't quite get it to come out of their mouth. They don't know why, but if God's glory is on you. Now, here's the problem with what church is. When it's in the natural, when it's not supernatural, when it is not glorifying God, then people will walk into that church and see nothing going on and assume that God does not dwell there. And rightly so. Because the glory of God is not something that just we can see, but the glory of God is evident in anything in which he dwells. Most people that struggle with whether or not they're saved or struggle with whether or not God's really done it, they're actually struggling with the fact that they haven't seen the manifestation of God's glory in their life. What they're actually struggling with is I'm kind of the same person I was. I'm kind of in the same place that I was. Why does the Bible talk about moving from glory to glory? Because as we follow the scripture, as we read his Bible, as we change into his image, we go from glory to glory until we become in his likeness. Because let me tell you what the ultimate plan is. Is that one day he's going to crown us with glory when we get to heaven. And you know what we're going to do with that? We're going to take those crowns off and we're going to lay him at his feet. All the glory of everything we've accomplished. All the glory of everything that we've managed to do. All our deeds. Do you know they all go through fire at the end. When you stand before the Lord it says everything comes before Him in 1 Corinthians and all the things you did that were just wasteful, that were hurtful, that were outside of the will of God come before you as wood, hay, and stubble and everything that you did in the name of Jesus. Every cold cup of water, every visit to prison, every time you put your anger aside in order to minister to somebody comes before you as gold and precious jewels And the thing that decides what's going to last is the fire. Because our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a refiner's fire. There's something about being in the presence of God that if you can get there, if you can find your way there, if you can shut out the world and find out where Jesus is, that there's a fire that he's going to put in you and it's going to burn away the old and it's going to put something new. We get scared when we see the fire. We get scared when God says, I need to take this out of your life. We get scared when God says, I need to change you. It's not that I don't love you. Did you know you can love somebody and not approve of everything they do? Did you know that? Did you know? I love my kids, but they're knuckleheads sometimes. Love you guys. Woo! They love their dad, and he's a knucklehead sometimes. Did you know that? Do you know you can love somebody and still want to see them grow? But you know you can love somebody and still know that when they go through the fire of all the things that life has thrown at them, when they go through the trials and the tribulations, when it seems like things just keep happening bad, things just keep coming into their lives and they're suffering through it, and yet somehow through that, they have the peace that passes understanding that God is gonna take them through this situation, that he's got another glory for them, that they're not just gonna go from here to destruction, but they are moving from glory to glory until they stand in his presence. Did you know that that kind of fire also refines what is inside of you, that sometimes we turn away from anything bad, bad happening because happiness is our ultimate goal and pleasure is our ultimate goal and oh my gosh if I'm not happy while I'm doing this maybe I'm doing the wrong thing maybe sometimes happiness isn't the end game maybe sometimes what's at the end of the road is that the gold and the silver and the things that God has put in you that are precious are going to make it through the fire of the situations that you're going to have to walk through amen People who feel approved of radiate. Did you know that? Glory is the mark of favor and acceptance on the life of a believer. Not of a perfect believer. Not of a sinless believer. Not of a walking, you know, never did anything wrong, never even sweats, right? No no armpit stink, no nothing. Just absolutely just walking on roses everywhere they go. No. It's when there's an authenticity to your faith an earnest belief that God is going to bring you through this, that even though you're going through something, you're going through it because he's got a greater glory for you, that you will lay down whatever parts of you need to be laid down so that you can get to the place that you need to go. Those kind of people have something radiating out of them in the same way that people that don't have hope have that radiating out of them. We won't get to the third page. That's okay. This is the shorter version. It is what it is, right? (laughs) Dee, if you could come to the piano for me. Can you do how great is our God? Let's bow our head and close our eyes for just a second. I just, I just want to talk to you for a minute. Give me, give me five more minutes and, and we're done. We're gone. It, it, you could go on about your life. But if you can feel it when you walk through the doors of this church that the glory of God is resident, I want you to know that people can feel that way about you when you walk through the door. That this sanctuary is not the only holy place. But that you're going to go back to homes, you're going to go back to jobs, you're going to go back to offices, you're going to go back to vehicles, you're going to go back to buses, you're going to go back to places where the glory of God is waiting to reside if you will give him that place. You were meant for glory. You were meant to be a trophy of grace. You were not made ugly or despicable, but you were made valuable and precious in the sight of a creator who when he made you had a purpose and who said when he made you, you matter. You matter to me. Because every good parent, nothing matters more than your kids. Do you know what it is when we say at the end of our race, we want to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? That's God giving us glory. That's God giving us praise. That's Him saying to you, I'm proud of you, you did good. You didn't always get it right, but you kept getting back up. Yeah, you stumbled, but you never stopped running. Yeah, there were times where you thought you were going to quit, but you pressed through and you made it. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's going to crown you with glory on that day. And we're just going to lay it at his feet. some of us ran some of us are still running if you're running from god today my question is where are you running to you'll end up somewhere your direction and your speed and your your sense of purpose where are you running to Do you have a destination in mind or are you just trying to get away from the past? Are you just trying to get away from those things that hurt, from those people that rejected you, from the things that went wrong? Where are you running to? What if I told you you could run to Him? What if I told you there was a God who when He set the universe into motion, that at the beginning of all things, Already knew that you would be here today in Northern Illinois in the month of May sitting at a church in Belvedere. He cares and you matter. And maybe you're going through some things today. Maybe you're going through struggles and trials and things that you can't overcome that are too big, that are beyond your strength, that you have put back on the altar only to found them waiting for you the minute you walk home. Maybe you're going through some things that are going to test your faith. They're going to make it hard to believe. The enemy's lie has not changed since the beginning. He will say to your heart, has God not said... And you need to know in that moment what God has said. Speak to us, Lord. For your servants listen. Lord, I pray for glory in this place. Lord, when Moses came down, he radiated. God, when they built the tabernacle, your glory filled it. God, when they built a temple, your glory filled it. Lord, when your son came down, he was transfigured so that the glory shone out of him. Lord, when he went back to heaven and then they stayed in the room and they prayed, God, the glory came down. God, show us your glory. God, show your glory to those that think they don't matter. Show your glory to those that know they're unworthy. Show your glory to those, God, who still call on your name in this place. Let's stand and sing, church. How oh, You'll have to hit the note for me, D. I'm in a different place. Is Is that in C? Okay. No, the devil doesn't get this moment, okay? He doesn't get this. I know when people are called to belong to our church because the enemy will immediately come after your life the moment you realize that. That for whatever reason, in Belvedere, Illinois, there is a strong discouraging, depressing presence that some of you got here today and you had to have to be you had to be cajoled or you had to fight through your own feelings or you had to get past some things that told you to stay in bed, not to come it's not going to be worth it and it's not going to matter, but you're here today because it does matter to God, and you got here and you're here for a reason so right now let's yeah. Have to do a guitar, we could do that way. you have a hard time expressing things out loud. But I want you to begin to raise your hands and just give glory to God. Just say thank you, Lord, for whatever you had to be get through to get here. I want you to start thanking him. I want some of you to start thanking him in faith, knowing that you're still going through, but knowing that you're going to get through. I want you to start thanking him because he got others through. That he has family members of yours out there still in his heart, still in his mind. I want us to start praising him out loud with our mouth, Father God, in the name of Jesus Lord. It took a long time for me to get here, God, and I didn't always go down the right path, but you have called me here, Lord. You have called me into your presence because I matter to you, and because I have purpose with you, and because you have set before me a task. Lord, you have set before me glory. God, you have set before me a crown of life that has been set aside so that one day I can take it from my head and set it at the feet of the one who died for me. I can set it at the feet of the one who was crucified for me. Jesus, Jesus. There's nothing wrong with being lost. Men get made fun of all the time because we won't ask for directions. We won't admit that we're lost. We feel like it makes us bad. It just makes us lost. The moment you turn your eyes skyward, the moment you seek the face of the Father and you ask Him for that direction. Now, if you don't hear it immediately, that doesn't mean give up, but it means you keep asking, you keep knocking, you keep looking until the Lord speaks to you. Some of you are going to have to get through some stuff to hear what God has to say for you. But what I want you to do in your heart is to make the commitment that, God, here I am, send me, Lord, in the place that you would have me go, send me. God, I need direction. Because I'm lost. Do you believe it when the Bible says He'll give you the desires of your heart? That your thoughts are just like channels of water in His hands, that He can turn you the direction you need to go? Obviously, we're not supposed to stop just yet. And I don't feel like I'm called to pray for anybody right now. But if you need to be in the presence of God, even if it's just by yourself, then raise your hands or come to this altar or do what the Lord is telling you to do. You need to start with the first act of obedience, the first breaking away of who you used to be into who you're going to be. For some of you, that means you need to get out of your seats and you need to get to this altar and you need to find a place to be in the presence of God. For some of you, he's putting someone on your heart to pray for, and you need to get in the throne room. You need to get before him. You need to be in that place where you can intercede. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah.